Hello and welcome to the Essendon People Podcast, an unofficial Essendon Football Club supporter podcast. Hosted by Brendan and Mark, Essendon People is a podcast for those who live and breathe Aussie rules and the Mighty Bombers. From the casual fan to the hardcore supporter, if you have the red and black in your heart, then Essendon People is the podcast for you. Thank you for joining us. Let's Let's start start the pod. pod. against the Gold Coast for round 18 and our preview of the game in round 19 against Collingwood. So, Brendan, another unexpected win, I think it's fair to say, against the Gold Coast. Yeah, no, exciting win. Uh, As you said, unexpected. Maybe not so much the result, but maybe just the way the game played out there. Uh, You know, we uh, led for most of the day and really you never looked challenged. Yeah, it's, um, the margin was was really a surprise. So we'll jump straight into that. So it was Essendon 14, 19, 103 to the Gold Coast, 8, 7, 55. So a 48 point uh, victory and uh, plenty of scoring shots there that we've had as well. So, um, and the first quarter, uh, we got away to a, a quick start and then Gold Coast kind of reeled us back in. It ended up being reasonably, reasonably even there at the quarter time. It was 4, 4, 28 to Essendon to. 4-1-25 Gold Coast. So, unfortunately, our eight shots on goal went at 50% conversion. We only got half of them through the big sticks and um, Gold Coast much better at 80%. So, we still led at quarter time by three points, but at the time, it felt like we had maybe let an opportunity go begging considering we got out to a, a big early lead and, and had plenty of shots. That's right. I think uh, Peter had maybe a bit of a unusual, inaccurate day for him there. He only kicked the 2-2, but it was a couple, both those behinds were very gettable there. And that kind of, uh, like you said, was a bit of a trend. We were worried about, oh, we've done ourselves here. We're going to get run over the top, thinking that Gold Coast were, um, were still a pretty good strong side after a big win against the Tigers the week before. But going into the second quarter there, we were 5-6-36 to Gold Coast, one three nine. 11 scoring shots to four. We only converted at 45%, so uh, could have had an even better quarter there. Uh, won a quarter by 27, led at halftime by 30 there. I know in that in that second quarter there, Mark, we're getting a lot of repeat entries. Uh, they, they couldn't really move the ball out of their back line there. It was almost reminiscent of the, the day we went uh, about 10 years ago there. In that first quarter, we kicked, I think it was just got over the 100 or just under. There and I think uh, I think old mate Kyle Remus uh, had a day out that day. I think he kicked eight or something like that. Uh, yeah, what a, one. what a time to be alive! That was uh, I haven't seen that again. That's for sure. So, but yeah, it was it was a big effort here in the second quarter. Eleven scoring shots, like you said. Um, so leading it, as you said, by thirty points at half time. We came out in the third quarter. We are notoriously slow starters off the half time break, which is something we've mentioned on the podcast before and. Thankfully, that wasn't the case this week. We had eight scoring shots again in the third quarter to their two. Um, they didn't convert a goal, which was good, so they went at 0%. We only went at the 25%, so we kicked two goals, 6-18, which meant that we won the quarter by 16 points and extended our lead to 46 points going into the final break. Yeah, and that's, I think I guess, kind of where we might have put a, take our foot off the gas a little bit. Uh, Gold Coast were really wanting to put in a big effort uh, to you know, they come back from a decent margin against Richmond. They were disappointed how they played, and I think key players like someone like Tuk Miller, who Jai Corwell had you know beaten 
up until that point, really started to get going there in that last quarter there. So Essendon, three goals, three. Gold Coast, three goals, one. Six scoring shots to five. We win it 50%. Only just won that quarter because, as I mentioned, Gold Coast really started playing some pretty decent football then. But the margin was just too um too far. And we won the game by 48 points, uh, had, having 14 scoring shots to six in that second half mark. But those 14 scoring shots, we went at 35% conversion. Yeah, and then uh, on the stat sheet, we basically won every single stat and by some margin as well. I think the the only stat that we probably haven't won there is conversion. They've, they've converted at 53% to our 42. Um, but other than that, uh, and rebound 50s, they, they had a, a handful more rebound 50s. Other than that, we won every single stat um on the day or at least was was equal and there was yeah some decent margins there we had 52 more kicks um we had you know 60 plus handballs uh disposals overall we had uh, over 100 more disposals overall so we possessed the ball a a lot more which in turn meant that meant that we took sort of 20 plus more marks than them as well uh, nearly 30 more marks so um some big numbers in, in the stat sheet yeah, I think just on those marks, those marks inside 50, 19 to 6. I mentioned earlier that second quarter there, we could, they couldn't move the ball, got a lot of repeat 50s. 16 tackles inside 50s, which is really important. That's a lot of this blue-collar brand of football that we've been trying to implement, that high-pressure inside 50. Um, smashed them in contested possession, as you mentioned, really smashed them, 100 more uncontested possessions, over 100 more effective disposals across the across the game. 36 clearances, which is a big number. And I think, as we mentioned earlier, the stuff going forward there, 60 inside 50s, 144 score involvements, 33 shots on goal, twice the amount of shots, scoring shots, than uh, Gold Coast had. And it's just a pity we only converted at 42% for the game. Yeah, so we'll jump into the good, bad, and ugly. In the good, pretty simple, three wins in a row, four wins out of the last five games, ran ourselves into a bit of form and... Um, as much as there's maybe some talk about how that might impact our draft selection at the end of the year, I think winning form is good form and momentum. So um, uh, I think that's not a bad thing. And it's it's enjoyable to watch now to either go and watch or watch on TV. So, yeah, three in a row and four out of the last five is good. And um, got off to that fast start as well that we were talking about. So uh, immediately into some form. Yeah. Kicking over 100 points, again, is a really good sign. Um, there was periods early in the year where we were struggling to get to 50. So to get to 100 uh, was really good. Tackle pressure, as I mentioned, to have 53 tackles, 16 of them inside 50 was a really good sign that we're tracking in the right direction with that there. And again, winning by a comfortable margin. What we win in the end by 48 points, you said. Good good win, solid win. Didn't let them kick you know, three or four cheap late goals and all of a sudden the margin gets sucked back in. So it was good to keep that distance. We'll go across the lines now and mention a few players. So through the midfield, Zach Merritt had a really good day. 36 disposals at 86% efficiency. Uh, he took the eight marks, had five tackles, seven inside 50s and nine clearances. Um, Dylan Shield is in some really good form since uh, that whole Luke Parker thing happened against Sydney. And, you know, just before that, he was actually omitted from the team as well, if people remember. So his second half of the year has been really strong. I think, uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, but now leads the competition uh, in clearances. Um, so he's gone gone uh, really hard on that. He's added a lot more tackling to his game. Another weekend, 29 disposals at 72% efficiency, 
five tackles, nine inside 50, seven clearances, eight score involvements. Um, he's sort of hunting around the goals a little bit more too. He's, he's kicked a couple this year, but he's probably had the ability to kick a few more if he wasn't uh, so unselfish. And then Jai Colwell, you said, uh, played on Took Miller, had a really good game, 21 disposals, 71%. Uh, efficiency, had the three tackles, a couple of goal assists, six inside 50s, three clearances himself and uh, one intercept as well. Yeah, so I'll go to the, to the, to the halfbacks there. Mason Redman, who's been uh, in really some really strong form and since the bye there, 34 disposals, 10 marks, four tackles, five inside 50s and nine score involvements. Um, Andy McGrath came back into the side this week from injury. Uh, it's gone back to halfback. Um, Glad that he's at halfback. I think we've talked a lot, Mark, about how we think he's a he's a backman instead of a midfielder, and that's really worked out for him. Twenty nine disposals, eleven marks, four rebound fifties, eight score involved, and seven intercepts. Him going back has actually allowed Nick Hine to be more attacking instead of having to be the only small defender with pace uh, to go do a defensive job. He can play his natural game. Twenty six disposals, six marks, four inside fifties, seven score involvements, and Jordan Ridley. 18 disposals is 100%, seven marks, four rebound 50s, four intercepts. Really good to see him getting his disposal efficiency up around the 100 mark again there, Mark. That's where he's obviously does his best football with his – he's got that beautiful left foot. Uh, was struggling a little bit with that earlier in the year, but it's good to see him get back to some of his best footy. Yeah, moving on now to our defensive forwards and um, I guess one of these guys rotates through the mid as well. Um, ben Hobbs will start with say, 15 disposals at 60% efficiency. Um, he had he kicked two behinds and had six tackles, a couple of goal assists, two inside 50s, one three clearances of his own, seven score involvements and an intercept. And then Matt Guelphy, 14 disposals at 92% efficiency and the six marks, a goal assist, couple, uh, three inside 50s, Five score involvement, three intercepts, and the big one was ten tackles. Uh, that was a huge effort to for Guelph to get ten tackles. Um, he's had a, a really good year, I think, overall, all things considered, with the, with how the club's gone um, generally. I think Guelph he's had a really consistent year. Yeah, and playing that half forward role, a lot of those uh, tackles inside fifties, he's putting on or putting pressure, which creates turnover. So it's good, good for Guelph. Uh, back to our key backs, who I thought we did. Uh, some pretty good job there on the day. Uh, BZT, 12 disposals at 91% efficiency, five marks, five intercepts. Lav, 14 disposals at 85%, seven marks, six intercepts. And Jake Kelly did a job on Isaac Rankin, who was one of the more informed small defenders, small forwards in the competition, sorry. 14 disposals at 100% efficiency, four marks, five score involvement, six intercepts. Really great to see all three of those guys with high disposal efficiency. Last line on the fence often, you don't want to make errors there because that's when you get turnover, cheap, easy goals. So them really working hard, getting their disposal up, beating their man, hurting the opposition the other way. All three having really good years in that second half. And just quickly on BZT, it's great to see him playing with a lot of confidence. In a number of games now, you've seen him get the ball and not dish it off straight away, which is normally a, a sign of not having great confidence, but he's happy to hold it kind of sell a dummy bit, you know, balk someone and, and then give off. So his decision-making um, has stepped up a, another notch uh, to what we were seeing in the VFL a few years ago when he was sort of dominating down back there. So hopefully that continues. Move on into the ruck now. So Sam Draper had the 13 disposals, 69% efficiency. He had two marks, kicked a couple of goals uh, or behind as well. So he's had three three shots on goal, four tackles, which is good for Ruckman, 23 hit outs and inside 55 clearances, seven score involvements, two intercepts. And then 
the big one is he probably he, uh, he's kicked, definitely been awarded with goal of the week and possibly kicked goal of the year. And um, but that's been replayed a thousand times on TV and social media, and everyone got around that. And I think that's really important also for young kids. I think we spoke on the podcast a few weeks back about identifiable you know players and brand and things like that. And Sam Drape is the kind of person you're going to see kids at the footy with the number two on their back now from things like that and kind of the way that he gets around his teammates and celebrates goals. He's someone who's got a bit of character and personality and passion. And I think that that's a, a good thing for the club as well as the way that he plays. No, I certainly agree with that. And it was uh, good to see him uh, just just grow. Forget he's only probably played 50 games in his entire life, right? So just the growth, the excitement, the ability to – not be bogged down by system, just just express himself and to even think about doing something like that. Yeah, it was really good to see. And then just finish off with our key forwards there. I uh, mentioned earlier, Peter Wright kicked 2-2. Two, two. Uh, Stringer kicked uh, four goals, two. And Harry Jones kicked two goals, one. So multiple go- goals from our kind of three key forwards up there. It was um it was good to see them spread the load, and especially Jakey there with the four goals, too. Um, really come into some good form after, you know, an injuries riddled start of the year. Yep. So in the bad category, not that many this week. Conversion we've already touched on, um, so we won't go into any more detail there. Benny Hobbs got a bit of a shoulder injury earlier in the game. He did play out the game. He looked quite sore when it happened. So uh, hopefully he pulls up okay this week because those things can tend to linger a little bit. Um, and then that was it for the bad category. Do you want to take us through any of the uglies? Hard to have uglies when you win by 48 points, but we've got our stock standard uh, disposal efficiency below 70%. We've had a number this week. Uh, Langford, Draper, Martin, Stringer, Jones, Snelling, Hobbs, Wright and Durham all by 70%. Um, hopefully that can in, in, improve in coming weeks. And Heath Hockey medal votes. Uh, I'll go through mine quickly. I gave a five votes to Mason Redmond, four to Zach Merritt, three to Dylan Shield, two to Jake Stringer, and one to Sam Draper. Uh, my five were five to Shield, four to Merritt, three to Redmond, two to Guelphie, and one to BZT. All right, we'll take a break and we'll come back with some club news. Over the last week, Andrew McGrath has signed a two-year contract extension, so that sees him stay at Essendon until at least the end of 2024. Um, McGrath's obviously the deputy vice captain. He's only 24 years old, taking it pick number one uh, in the draft a, a few years back, and he's played 106 games already. Uh, so that's um, some great news, Brendan. Oh, yeah, it's really good news. Um, obviously, young leader of the side. Um, we've talked before how he's... Played some pretty good football for us there. Uh, potentially in the hub, could have won the best and fairest, but for uh, an injury late in the year, saw him miss it several games. Uh, does a lot of defensive work, unrewarded running, lots of lots of the uh, selfless things that you need uh, to be a good football side. Uh, his move back into the back line has been really good, and um, hopefully uh, he can stay there for the next, you know, close to ten years and. Uh, be a really, really good player for us. So just some quotes from Andy there. I've loved my six years at the footy club so far. I'm extremely excited to continue my journey. Uh, love playing. My love for the playing group is immense and I'm grateful for the faith the club has shown in me. I'm determined to push myself and the entire group to realise our capabilities and achieve our ultimate goal. 
Another one here was, I believe we're building something special and creating an environment to be successful. It's an exciting time to be an Essendon person. A um, little bit selfish putting that one in there at the end. Obviously, the Essendon People podcast, anything that's Essendon People related, we like to give a little plug. So, But in all seriousness, um, yeah, Andy had some, some glowing things to say about the club and his love of the playing group and his belief in, in what they're heading towards. So that that's good. And, uh, yeah, keen to see Andy continue to progress. Um We'll move on to the VFL now, which was round 17 against the Gold Coast as well, out at Windy Hill, and it was uh, typical Windy Hill. It was blowing a gale down there, um, uh, away from the stand, and uh, that kind of showed quarter by quarter. Uh, Gold Coast got away to a start. We drawn back in and were in front at half time. They got back on top in the third quarter, and then it was pretty close at the end, but we weren't able to capitalise with the wind in the last quarter, and we were up, but with about a minute or so to go, we... Uh, found ourselves uh, turning over the ball, went to the other end and, and they uh, kicked a goal that ultimately saw us lose by uh, three points. Yeah, so the final scores were 11, 12, 78, Essendon to Gold Coast, 12, 9, 81. Uh, just going through some of the basic stats, um, just just lost the kicks, uh, 194 to 177, uh, same number of handballs, uh, 20 less marks, a uh, couple less tackles, uh, got beaten a little bit in the hitouts, 36 of 47. Inside 50 is about the same around the 50 mark and rebound 50 is uh, similar around the 40 mark. So I guess we'll um, we'll move into the AFL list of players that played and we'll start with uh, number 17, James Stewart. Uh, played forward, uh, first game back from injury there with his plantar fascia with his foot. Uh, 11 disposals, four goals, seven marks and then chipped in around the ground with um, one tackle, one hit out. Uh, number 24, Nick Bryan, 13 disposals, three marks, two tackles and 32 hitouts. Uh, Alistair Lord, nine disposals, one tackle. Zach Reed, nine disposals, four tackles, two marks. Josh Eyre, uh, 13 disposals, four marks and three tackles. Really good to see Eyre getting a lot more game time, uh, a lot of disposals as he moved back. Seems to be a bit more natural for him, ability to read the play, is playing with some pretty good defenders at VFL level in Reed and Brand. So it's good to see him getting some of the footy. Yeah, we'll move on now to Garrett McDonough, who had the 11 disposals, a couple of marks and a tackle. Cody, uh, Pat, sorry, Cody Brand had the 11 disposals, three marks and four tackles. Number 39, Patrick Voss had 11 disposals, kicked four goals, one, had a couple of marks and three tackles. Um, Paddy Voss is really starting to come out as a, as a player now. He's only just come back from you know, a decently serious ankle injury as well. Uh, sorry, missed some footy. So he's a pretty raw product and grew up playing a bit of rugby, I think, as well. So, uh, But he's uh, starting to hit the scoreboard, playing predominantly forward at the moment. And if he can get the tank and the and the, the smarts to play through the midfield, he could be a real dangerous dangerous player. He's got a, a lot of good attributes. We'll move on to number 41, Kent McBride, six disposals, a couple of marks, a couple of tackles and three hitouts. Uh, number 42, Massimo D'Ambrosio, 14 disposals, one goal and three tackles. Interestingly played up forward, didn't play off half back, which is where he was drafted for. I found that a bit odd, but um, uh, good exposure nonetheless. Number 45, Alec Waterman had the seven disposals, four tackles. 47, John Menzi had 14 disposals. Kicked one goal too. It was a bit of an almost day for him. Obviously, wasn't helped by the wind. And number 49, Tom Hurd had the eight disposals, uh, a mark and a tackle. And do you just want to finish us off here, Brendan? Yeah, the the big news out of out of the game was uh, the return of of Michael Hurley there. 
Uh, first game, I think, said over 660 days. Uh, obviously, Olno had that terrible infection in his hip. Um, saw him lose, I think it was in excess of 10 kilos. He was quite sick. There was talk that he potentially could have, could have lost his leg or even worse, his life. Um, so for him just to be able to get back and be, be healthy, it was really, really a big challenge for him, let alone to get back to play uh, for football. I think he's had uh, even more, some pretty serious surgery on his hip. I said, I hear that it's the same type of surgery that Andy Murray, the tennis player, had to get back uh, from retirement to play tennis. And it's the first time this type of injury is ever, this type of surgery is ever uh, been done in an AFL footballer or, you know, a, a contact sport there. So there was lots of unknowns and lots of challenges that they didn't didn't know about. So he, he played forward. I think he only played a half. Um only got the five disposals, two marks, but it's just about him getting around there, being a senior player, uh, giving direction to some of the younger key position players, and that's something that he's really been doing in his time off. He's been kind of getting in the VFL and AFL and coaching, doing a lot of development work, helping with the key position players. So hopefully he's been able to use the time to kind of set himself up post-footy and potentially go down the coaching paths. But um, it'll be great to see him potentially maybe get a game between now and the end of the year at AFL level. And um, so all the Bomber fans can really get in there and then show our love for him and, you know, congratulate him on what is a, a massive milestone to get back to, to playing. Yeah, well said. And uh, we'll round out with um, four of the VFL listed players. Seven, number 77, Joel Fitzgerald had 25 disposals. Number 51, Stefan Rasnak had 25 disposals, uh, eight marks and four tackles. Number 57, uh Billy Cootie here, 20 disposals, kicked a goal, five tackles. And number 64, Brad Bernacki, uh, a pretty handy player. He had 18 disposals um, and a couple of tackles as well. So we're 17th on the ladder after 14 games, four wins, 10 losses, percentage of just under 80. And our next match is round 18 against Southport Sharks uh, uh, on Sunday at um, Frank Houser Reserve at five past 12. Yeah, so for all that's obviously up on the Gold Coast there. So for all our Queensland fans, if you're, you're keen to see us, we've knocked off Brisbane. We've knocked oh, had had a win against the Gold Coast. Maybe you can go and watch the VFL boys running around in the Bombers jumper and maybe get a win up there. So we'll move on to the the VFLW there. They had their best and fairest awards night during the week, and the, uh, uh, if you've been following this podcast at all, you'll know <laughs> who's probably won, and that's. Uh, George and Ann Scowan, the captain there, we talk about her every week and how she's the just a incredibly good player for us. Obviously, was our first AFLW signing, captain of a club. Uh, second was Simone Alder, the the ruckman who kicked the goal on grand final day. She's actually been rewarded with an AFLW contract at St Kilda, so she'll be leaving the program to go there. And number three uh, was Alex Morecambe. Yeah, and some of the other awards that were. Um, awarded on the night was the best club woman, which was Kendra Heal was the winner of that. Um, interesting side note, obviously an amazing footballer, but um, does some really amazing painting work as well. Uh, if people are keen to have a look at that on the side. Don of the Year winner was Courtney Eagle. He's um, a huge leader uh, at the club and been around the club for, for a long time and does a lot of work outside of uh, her playing duties as well um, to benefit the club and, and her teammates. Best finals player was Eloise Ashley Cooper. Leading goal kicker was Frederica Fru, who also won the competitions goal kicking as well. Most valuable young player was Renee Tierney. And we'll move on to the VWFL or the, the wheelchair bombers there. 
Uh, over the past weekend, uh, we played Hawthorne. Uh, the development side had a big win, uh, 14-8-92 to the Hawks, 2-2-14. And similarly, the senior side with 18-7-115 to the Hawks, 9-6-60. So the development side is second on the ladder, having won six games and got a percentage of 240.38. Uh, and the senior side, second on the ladder again, ten uh, played 10, seven wins, 169.7. So we're up against the Pies in, in next week. Um, Borondara Sports Complex, uh, 12 p.m. for the development side, uh, 1 p.m. for the senior side. That's a huge result as well for the, the wheelchair dons there because they hate Hawthorne with a passion. If you listen to any interviews or uh, media coverage of, of the wheelchair league there, they really hate Hawthorne and now they're playing Collingwood this week. So um, it's a, a huge rivalry double header uh within a, a two weeks time frame there um let's take the last break and sorry second last break and we'll come back with some uh 150 year anniversary segments in don's dna and bobber's numbers For Don's DNA this week, we're going to be talking about Essence partnership with Challenge, uh, which is a, a, a cancer-supportive um, thing for, for kids and for families who have cancer. So uh, I guess just before we jump into that, we'll, we'll go back to, uh, I guess, Adam Romanaskis, who played for Essendon between 1999 and 2008. So he played 134 games, kicked 63 goals. He was a premiership player in 2000. Uh, runner-up in the Rising Star in 2000 as well. One uh, was third place in the Crichton Medal in 2001. And then in 2003, he was diagnosed with cancer in his neck, which is pretty dangerous, obviously. Um, he did make a recovery that year to play a handful of games towards the end of 2003. Uh, but then there was a reoccurrence of that cancer and he had to undertake intensive chemotherapy, which saw him miss a, a fair bit of uh, football and um, obviously um, was was in quite a bit of uh, risk of, of his life uh, as well. So um, thankfully he did get through that and got the all clear, um, during which time he unfortunately did an ACL injury to his knee in 2005 uh, during, during a training mishap. Uh, but he did come back to play again in 2007. And um, there were some pretty good scenes, Brendan, in that game where he comes back and uh, kicked the goal late uh, as well as some some good footage on YouTube and the like about that. Can you recall the first bloke to hug him after he kicked that goal on a goal square? Oh, I actually can't. It'd be someone like Damien Peverell or something. No, no, no. It was actually a young Joe Botson. Oh, right. Uh, right. Young Joe, if I'm not mistaken. Now, I won't be wrong, but pretty sure I, it was Joe. And he's hugging him, hugging him. Not every players were, even Fletch from down a fullback. Charged down there, hugged him, and I heard he was in there as well. It was, yeah, it was great things. I was at the game. I remember it. It was just such an amazing thing to see after all the challenge he'd been through, how just an amazing player that he was, and then to be so young and to be how sick as he was, for him to get back, uh, it meant a lot to Essendon fans. And I know it meant a lot in particular to uh, Essendon fans and fans of the football in general who have cancer or have family have cancer to see someone kind of get back to full health and to be able to play. And it's really good for Adam. He's been able to been cancer free for a, for a while now. I think he's got three young children. He he's, he's part of the, he's a player and manager. I think he does some work on RSN on radio station here in Victoria there. So he's still heavily connected with the football club there. And it was also great 
on the 150th anniversary game against Carlton there. Him and Scotty Lucas in that pre-match there, holding the 2000 Cup up together. Um, yeah, it was really good to see Rama still, still connected to the club. Yeah, fantastic player and even better person. So since 2005, uh, Essendon's partaked in a, a clash for cancer game uh, in which people might recall seeing them wear the, the jumper that has the yellow band uh, around the shoulder just on the one side. Um, so I think initially that was maybe a yellow armband that they wore, similar to when they were a black armband, and then that's since progressed to the jumper, having the yellow band around the around the um, kind of sleeve area of the jumper. Um, so that started back in 2005, and now I guess to more modern times, they've got a, a partnership which has been going for a fair while uh, where they commit one game a year, which is called the Tackling Childhood Cancer uh, game or match, and um, that is going to be against North Melbourne in a couple of weeks. So... As we said, challenge support families living with cancer and kids living with cancer. Um, so in those games, uh, maybe not in the last couple of years because of COVID, but normally they select 22 um, children who have cancer and they run out uh, with the players on the day through the banner and everything, get to experience that. And there's normally some really good stories in the lead up with the players going out and visiting the, the children. And um, last year, I think it was last year or the year before, where the kids did some really good drawings uh, of the players and, then that got shown to the players in the lead up to the game, and um, and it's showed what what it meant for the kids and what it meant for the players as well, um, who were supporting them and doing something. So, for people who are interested in um, in supporting that or, or supporting anything that Challenge does and learning a bit more about what sort of activities and programs that they provide for those kids and families, um, just go to their website challenge.org.au, and uh, that's also where you can donate uh, as well. And I'm sure that. At that game in a couple of weeks, there'll be opportunities um, to donate and to uh, to purchase the yellow armbands as well. So we'll jump into Bombers numbers, and this week it is Guernsey numbers 18 and 41. So, Brendan, do you want to kick us off with number 18, Paddy Shea? Yeah, sure. So Paddy played from 1908 to 1918, um, was kind of a canny uh, kind of goal-sneaking half-forward. Is um one of the early players to actually kick a banana or a check side, as they say in South Australia. So he was a, a pioneer of what is, you know, now we've got blokes who won win cold medals kicking uh, around the corner from 25 straight in front. We've got Ruckman now who come out of the centre and kick check side goals uh, after running 60, 70 metres. <laughs> so he's played 142 games, 156 goals. Uh, was a key player in the 1911 and 1912 uh, Premiership sides and um, later went on to coach Essendon Association in the VFA post his uh, VFL football career. Next up is Les Gardner. So Les played from 1943 to 1953. He played the majority of that either in the back pocket or at halfback. Um, in his first year, he won the best, best first-year player Unfortunately, in 1944, missed the entire season with a spinal injury, but managed to get back and was a key player in the 1946, 1949 and 1950 Premiership sides. In particular, in the 1950 uh, grand final defeat of North Melbourne, in the back pocket there, he was uh, close to best on ground. And Mark, three, the last three seasons of his footy career, he won the Essendon Most Unselfish Player Award which is a pretty good award to win, especially when you're in a very good side like that. And that's probably an award maybe we could look to to bring back here to to modern times. We're talking about 
blue collar. We obviously, they created the McCracken Medal, which is to recognise veterans' history. Uh, the most unselfish player award sounds like an award every player would want to win. Yeah, I would support that, and he would be pretty proud to win that as well. Uh, we'll move on now to the third player, Reg Burgess. Yeah, so Reg played from 1954 to 1960, played the 124 games and kicked the nine goals. Uh, pretty much represented Victoria in pretty much all those years. Or was the best and fairest in 1957 and 1960 and um, was ranked number 13 in the Champions Eston and is named on the wing in the team of the century. So I only, <laughs> only played for the club for six or seven years, 124 games, but left an amazing, amazing mark on the football club to be named on the wing. So that centre line in the team of the centuries, Reg Burgess, Jack Clark, Moha Long, <laughs> three very, very good footballers. And next up is Greg Brown. So, yeah, Greg played from 1963 to 1969, played the 83 games, uh, played in the premiership in 1965, and uh, has unfortunately was affected by injury, and which kind of cut his career short. Uh, and the next player up is a is a pretty significant um, key forward over the years, Paul Vanderhaar. Yes, Paul Vanders, uh, two hundred and one games, set two hundred and seventy eight goals, nineteen seventy seven to nineteen ninety. Uh, played for Victoria in seventy eight, eighty two, and eighty five. Is obviously. A dual premiership player in 84-85. Went on to play in the 1990 grand final as well as the 1993. Um, the Flying Dutchman. Error. Just the best mark of the ball <laughs> of all time. You often hear about the stories about Vanderhaar and Peter Knights that day at Windy Hill where they just took all the marks there and just an incredible player for us in, in an incredible period was essentially the centre-half forward in in the best side in the competition for three years, <laughs> right? And I know he does a really, um, a really really interesting open mic there. He talks about his story and how he overcomes severe neck injury from a motorbike there and how kind of, you know, his father was actually one of the first pool builders in Australia, bringing that over from, from Holland there. And he's, him and his son still run the, the pool business today there. So... Yeah, um, good to see Vander getting involved in the club a bit more through a lot of these things. I know 150 years, there was lots of things. I know he was recently on the front bar as well with Terry Danaher and Simon Madden. So good to see kind of that connection to what is one of the stronger times of the club in the 80s there still being present today. Yeah, and uh, it didn't take long for to, to fill the number 18 Guernsey with another Essendon legend. That was Matthew Lloyd. Yeah, Lloydie. Well, this will take a while to run through the Lloydie stats here, so bear with me. Played for Essendon between 1995 and 2009. 270 games, 926 goals. Played for Victoria. Played for Australia twice. And then near we get into the, the big stats. Three times a Kylema medal. Winner, 2000, 2001, 2003. 12-time Essendon leading goal kicker. Five-time All-Australian, Premiership player, Essendon captain, won the goal of the year, won the mark of the year, was number 22 in the Champions of Essendon. And as, remember, this was 2001. So imagine what it would be at the, at the end of his career. 
and is also a member of the Australian Football Hall of Fame along with the Essendon Hall of Fame and, you know, pretty much any other Hall of Fame you want. <laughs> uh, I think the mo- the last true full forward the game has seen. Uh, obviously, it's iconic him picking the grass up for a set shot. And I, you and I would have done that. There would have been every kid in the country who was doing that for a while there trying to emulate Lloydy there. Um, well, I'll put it over to you. He's your favourite player, Mark, of all time. So uh, well, how about you tell us about Lloydy? <laughs> yeah, definitely definitely my favourite. The first ever game I went to, he kicked 13, and I just thought that that's what happened. And um, I just remember as a kid watching him and if he, when he came out, you always were confident that he would take the mark and you were always confident that he would kick the goal as well, no matter where he was uh, around the 50 arc. So, so reliable, such good conversion rate. Um, just a, a really good, uh, just really passionate about this. And it's whoever now when he's on, on the commentary and that you can tell, you know, that he's still bleeds red and black. And um, yeah, as you said, just the sort of person you emulated as a kid and, and wanted to be like um, he was. He just take games on his own and uh, and take control of them. So really cool. I've been at, at a game where he kicked a hundred goals as well, and people stormed the field. Uh, so that was really good to see. And uh, as you said, his stat sheet speaks for itself. He's achieved literally everything there is to, to achieve. Essentially, most goals for an Essendon player ever. I think ten times in ten seasons he kicked over fifty goals. <laughs> An absolutely incredible record uh, for for the Bombers and one of the all time all time great footballers. The year the the real undoing of him was unfortunately when he tore his hammy off the bone. And that that year, I think it was about round five that that happened. And in the first four games, he had already accumulated something like twenty goals. Um, he was absolutely dominating that year, and unfortunately, that injury. Who who knows what might have been. Um, had he not had that injury, but he still went on to have uh, quite a good career after that as well. well. That's it, and he had a, he had a lot of injuries there. There, we obviously tore the hamstring off the bone there. I remember he, he broke his hand. He came back against the game against the Dogs, and Steve Kruduk was trying to bash on his broken hand there. So, uh, became quite a quite a tough player at the uh, towards the second half of his career there after realising, well, there's uh, got to fight fire with fire there, and got the nickname the the Velvet Sledgehammer there. It's um. I was watching him on Footy Classified when, when Buddy Franklin kicked the thousand goals, and they asked him, you know, do you regret, you know, not doing that? And when you look at his record, I think 270 games, 926 goals, he could have easily, easily got 300 games and a thousand goals. And you know, he was quite content with at the end of his career. And he told the story about how he reti- he retired for a year, and then when Hurdy was a coach, Hurdy asked him to the club under the pretense of doing some coaching stuff, which he ended up doing. But really, you know, he was here with Brendan McCartney and I said, mate, ask him the question you want to ask. They asked him, did you want to come back and play? And they said, mate, you know, you're not you're not going to kick 100 goals a year like you used to, but you can still kick 50 or 60. And he was quite content not to do that. But it would have been, would have been amazing to see him add – you know, the legacy, 300 games, 1,000 goals to what is already an amazing career. So the number 18 is currently held by Michael Hurley, who we've mentioned in the previous segment, just returned back through the VFL and uh, really happy to see that his health is looking a lot better now. And he's had a fantastic career himself. So wherever that ends, um, not sure yet. But, uh, yeah, Michael Hurley definitely has done the number 18 proud as well. 
That's right. So 193 games, 108 goals, twice an All-Australian. Um, yeah, been a super player for us, a versatile player, played forward, uh, Got us into a got us into a final the other day. Lloydy uh, <laughs> took out Brad Sewell there. He kicked a couple of key goals late there, hurls, and um, yeah, it was really a uh, just an absolute star for us for a for a long period there. Especially you know when it was a really tough time for the football club. He was a guy. He often talk about the um, the kind of the guys that are the leaders without having the title, the spiritual leader, the guys that kind of the glue guys that gets everyone together, and and he played a really important role in that in that hurls and. Now, hopefully he can um, maybe get a contract next year and get to the 200-game mark because he's certainly a player that's deserving of, of that. Definitely. We'll move on to the number 41, Guernsey, now. Do you want to kick us off with Dean Hartigan? Yeah, so we'll get through the, the 41s pretty quickly here. So Dean played from 1974 to 1977, 36 games, one goal. The next up is Andrew Manning. Andrew played from 89 to 91, 25 games, 20 goals. The third name here is one that people might be familiar with, Michael Quinn. Michael Quinn, the uh, the original uh, Essendon Irishman. 2009, 2010, eight games, two goals. But I'm surprised with this, mate. I thought he was on a list for a lot longer than that. Maybe this is just when he actually played senior football there. But he had he had something about him. He was always had the, uh, the high socks. He had the straight back with the running. And there, and obviously... Um, Probably unfortunately for for Welshy there, he was the guy that tackled Andrew Welsh and um kind of was the end of his career with that serious ankle injury. But he's done pretty well, Welshy <laughs> post football there. I think he's uh in the hundreds of millions of dollars now there. So um, maybe it was a it was a good thing after all. <laughs> Next up is Will Hams. Will Hams um played the thirteen games for, for the Bombers, uh, four goals. Uh, from 2013 to 2016, small, small nuggety player had the curly blonde hair. Incredibly tough player. I, he, he had a lot of, lot of injuries, particularly head knocks, because he put his head in the hole consistently. And um, it was still only younger, 24, 20, sorry, 28. So I hope I think he was still playing at VFL for a couple of years there. There, so hopefully we'll still enjoying his footy. And speaking of small hard-nosed players. Ben McNeese for the number 41 as well. Yeah, he played the 15 senior games for the Bombers after being in the VFL side for a number of years. He was actually uh, the VFL captain at one stage there, Benny McNeese. And I, I think he, he came on a list uh, during a period we had some uh, um, draft con- penalties there. And he was the first uh, Cat B rookie to, uh, to the Bombers there. I think because his mother was, was born in India. So, uh, Benny McNeese, uh, what a good player he was there, certainly at VFL level and contributed, he played his role when he was called up to the seniors. And in keeping with the Cat B rookie theme, the current wearer of the number 41 Guernsey is Ken McBride. Yes, yeah, so big, big Irishman. We talked about uh, <laughs> um, Michael Quinn earlier. Uh, big Rathman, um, he's played some. Okay, football for the for the club at VFL level. Mark, he's he's actually an interesting player. He's probably a better four than what he is a defender. Although he's had good games at either end. I think when he gets in the ruck, he goes well because he's around the ball can kind of impact a bit more. Uh, this is his third year on the Cat B rookie list, but because his first year was the uh, 
the COVID lockdown year, I think he, the club, the AFL has allowed those players to get an extra year. So I think it's definitely worth pers- persisting and giving him the extra year on the Cadby rookie list and seeing what can come of it, especially being such a versatile player to play all three positions. I think that's something they should look to reward him for persevering. Definitely. All right, we'll take our last break and then we'll come back to preview the game against the Pies. At 19, we have Collingwood at the MCG on Sunday at 20 past three in the afternoon. It's meant to be sunny day, good weather. It's an away game, but plenty of seats there so people can get down and have a look. And uh, Brendan, opportunity to get some revenge for Anzac Day. Yes, and I think it's actually a good opportunity there. We'll kind of get into it a, a bit now, but I think we're a chance for a win. We're in some good form. We only lost by the, a small margin on Anzac Day there, so um, hopefully the boys can get up. And if people remember on Anzac Day, Collingwood just kicked unusually accurately. I think they only kicked like the three behinds or something on the day. So we were pretty stiff that day. I uh, thought we were, you know, we, we were in with a shot there. I don't think we were um, the worst team by any means. And yeah, in with another good shot here. Yeah. And if you recall, uh, Jack Ginevan got a couple of real dodgy free kick calls there. And uh, um, Brody Majek, a little, little weird toe poke thing that just, a million and one chance, but it went through there. So that was kind of the end margin in the result. So if the boys can uh, can get up and put in a good performance, I reckon we're um we're almost going in as favourites, Mark, despite being uh, <laughs> different positions on the ladder. Well, Collingwood's won their last something like their last seven or eight games or something. But if you look back, even in the last couple of weeks, they haven't been in fantastic form. They only just got over the line against Adelaide, and only just got over the line against North Melbourne the week before that. So. Um, the last month or so, they did beat Melbourne, I think, about five or six weeks ago. But that was when Melbourne were kind of struggling a bit. And uh, But over the last month or so, they haven't played anyone uh, of huge calibre. Like, I think it's all sort of bottom eight teams. So, I don't think that they're maybe as good as they look. Nonetheless, they play a pretty exciting brand of footy. So, it's going to take some stopping. But I think with the way that we're playing and the form that we're in, we're definitely a chance. So, we go through the injury list. Kane Ballin with a calf is a test to come back through the VFL there. Nick Cox with his ankle, still two to three weeks away. That's almost the season. Tom Cutler with his quad, another week probably on the sidelines. Aaron Francis with his hamstring is a test. Hopefully we see back him back in the VFL. Dusty Parrish with his calf, still two to three weeks away. Archie Perkins is a little bit closer with his calf. He was a test this week, but it looks like he maybe hasn't got up, so maybe one more week. Devin Smith with his knee is probably done for the year, and Tex Wanganin with his foot is done for the year. Um, Collingwood, anyone noteworthy on Collingwood's injury list? Yeah, they got a couple of noteworthy guys in uh, Jordan Dugowie and Brody Grundy. Neither of those guys have been selected They're in the uh, extended squad. Obviously, Sunday games, extended squad, this is... Uh, Recording this uh, Thursday night there, and uh, other than that, um, Nathan Kruger is a decent player. Um, Jack Magden, but yeah, really nothing, nothing to write home at for the Pies there. So both sides seem to be in um, reasonable condition to play, play a decent game there. So as we mentioned, we've got the extended squad, so we'll go from the back line: uh, Ridley, Laverde, Zerk Thatcher, Kelly, Redmond, McGrath. Centerline is Durham, Merritt, Heppel, half forwards, Guelph, Nick Martin, Langford, Wright, Stringer, Jones. The followers are Phillips, Shiel, Corwell, and an extended bench of Hind, Hobbs, Snelling, 
Draper, Ham, uh, Massimo, and Alec Waterman and James Stewart. So the ins to the extended squad are Ham, who was the sub last week, D'Ambrosio, Waterman, and Stewart. Um, we'll just maybe talk about some ins and outs there, Mark, and the side in general. What did you think of the of the side we've picked and um, especially the ins there? Yeah, I, I guess obviously with the form we've been in, um, there's not a lot of change probably required when everyone's sort of going okay and doing their role. I uh, don't think you need a lot of change. So, um, yeah, I'd love to be able to squeeze Massimo back into the side because I think he, he offers a real point of difference across half-back and his skills have been sublime, really. So, um, But it's going to be hard. You can't really take anyone out of that back line at the moment. Um, James Stewart is an interesting one. He played quite well in the BFL and was, and was quite a good key forward option for us. Uh, so... I think they've obviously made the call to play him forward now instead of instead of in defence, and uh, I would be keen to see how that would work with Peter Wright. I think that would be a really good combination and allow Harry Jones to probably take the third defender, which would be an interesting um, setup as well. So, um, as much as I'd like to see that, it's again, it's just hard to to squeeze into that side at the moment with um, with everyone kind of playing their role. So they're probably the two I'm most keen to see have a go. But, uh, yeah, I'm not sure how they fit in this week. I, I think we'll go in unchanged by the time we get to Sunday. Yeah, I, I agree that Stuart and uh, Massimo are the two guys that are potentially coming in. For Massimo, if I was going to pull the trigger on one player to get him into the side, it's probably Will Snelling at the moment. Both both small types of players there. Snelling probably hasn't set the world on fire yet since coming back from injury. Uh, at the start of the year, um, you, they mentioned, and I heard Ben Runton talk about Massimo playing forward of the VFL. They said he's got some skills they like there, his evasiveness, his kicking, his potential option there. He certainly looks better at, in the back line there. But with McGrath coming into that small defensive spot and obviously Kelly now playing that lockdown on the small, there's no real obvious spot for him in the back line. So maybe he takes Snell's hard-running spot up forward. And in terms of James Stewart getting him in, I think the interesting one is maybe we're going in with run recognised ruckman, so maybe Drapes as the ruckman, and then having Stewart come in for Wright. Uh, sorry, Stewart come in Phillips. So Stewart and Wright play full forward, centre half forward, and one of them could could conceivably be the second ruck. You know, James Stewart has been the second ruck previously, um, and so has Peter Wright. I'd probably like to keep Pete up forward and maybe throw Stewie in the ruck. Also, getting Stewie in the ruck, I think, is a good thing for him because it kind of gets him involved in the game a bit and he's a really strong runner. So might be something, a point of difference to have a bit more of a mobile ruckman in the middle there. It, it's an interesting one because, um, yeah, we both said, obviously, we want James Stewart in, in the side somehow. It would be good to see. But uh, I guess, yeah, as you said, you probably have to do the setup exactly what you just said, but... I, I don't think Peter Wright is that comfortable in the ruck from, from what I watch when he goes in there. And I don't think he's that, that effective. I think he's definitely a, a permanent forward. Um, so it would have to be Stuart and Draper. And then I also think Draper benefits from having Phillips in the side um, as a, as a one, two punch. So you, you wonder if you put Stuart in, do you then upset the balance with Draper and he, and he doesn't, you know, play as well. Well, Draper has been playing forward a bit more there. He had that, I think last week he led from the goal square, took a mark, kicked the goal. Um, so it's kind of what do you want? Do you want the strength to be – you want a ruck forward or forward ruck? I think if you want a ruck forward, 
go Phillips. If you want a forward who can ruck, you probably go Stewart. Uh, and then having Stewart in there allows probably Harry Jones to kind of have less pressure because you've actually got a, a traditional forward that can play there. But Phillips has got a good rick against Collingwood. Uh, his bunny in Brody Grundy's not playing, so <laughs> maybe that goes against him there. But he always seems to get up for the pies and Grundy there. So um, it'll certainly be interesting to see what the what the final team is on Sunday. Yeah, we'll watch that with interest. I think, yeah, my my gut feel is it'll be unchanged and I wouldn't be disappointed with that. But, um, yeah, certainly if any of those four guys made their way into the side, I'd be keen to watch them play as well. So um, I guess maybe we'll just go through some of the some of the key matchups uh, that, that we might need to look at. A um, couple of the kind of veteran players in Scott Pendlebury and Steel Sidebottom have been playing pretty well um, despite being at the, the twilight of their career and can play multiple roles uh, as well. So um, who would you like to see take Pendlebury and Sidebottom? Oh, well, I think Sidebottom first. I think maybe Zachy Merritt. Sidebottom is a really smart player, uh, likes to run, uh, he's very damaging by foot. Um, can go forward, can go back, kind of impact everywhere. Um, I think Zach has the running capacity to go with side bottom and is also can play that inside outside role as side bottom does as well. So that'd be the one there. And I think with Pendles, uh, we've had a lot of difficulty with Pendlebury over the years. He's kind of not playing as the number one midfielder at the moment. He's kind of maybe playing some roles at half back, at half forward, a little bit time in the middle. So if we wanted to go. To yesteryear, maybe you could say Dyson Heppel. You kind of follow him around, kind of similar thing at this stage of his career. He's not necessarily playing as a full-time mid anymore. Uh, but I think this might also be a good opportunity for, for Nick Martin to play on a guy who's kind of a similar player, tall, good kick, kind of can take a mark, kind of maybe learn something. You know, this, this is... <laughs> He's only his first year at AFL level. It's hard. It's almost like he's a 150-game player, Marto, who plays that well. And you forget that he's his first year at the level. So maybe playing him on Pendles might be a good uh, a good matchup there. And then if we're going to move into the actual the midfield there, we've got Jack Crisp, who's there, leading their best and fairest this year, Paddy Lipinski, Taylor Adams, who's in inclusion this week, and then uh, Josh Dacos on a wing. Uh, so I think Mark, Jai Corwell has done a couple of good jobs on, on Took Miller and Lockie Neal. I think send him to Crisp. He's their best midfielder. Crisp is an inside player too. Matches well up against Corwell. What do you think? Yeah, I, I like that call. I think it's good. Corwell's coming in with, yeah, some form and some confidence. And as you said, best mid, probably our best stopper at the moment or best head-to-head. So, yeah, back, back giant to get that job done. Um, Patrick Lipinski is pretty pretty kind of hard at it inside midfielder. Dylan Shields been winning all the clearances for us lately. So he's shown that he can he can do that and get his hands dirty and he's been adding tackling and, and that to his game as well now. So um, I think that that's probably a good matchup there, the Pinsky and Shield. And then uh, Taylor Adams, you mentioned uh, that probably leaves us with Zach Merritt. Um, inside mid versus inside mid is, is probably a good matchup there too. If, if Merritt does go outside to side bottom, uh, what do you think about maybe Benny Hobbs playing on Adams? Both inside players, tough, hard, bit smaller in stature, maybe a good opportunity for Hobbs to get some more centre-bounce time. Yeah, yeah, I like that. And um, 
he definitely won't give up Hobbs. He's he's pretty hard at it, and he he uh, he's pretty he's his own harshest critic, I think. And um, uh, it would definitely be an education at the very least. And I, I would back young young Hobbsy in uh, to to have a good game there. Who do you think Josh Dacos is sort of on fire at the moment for for? Uh, uh, it's probably sorry more Nick. I was, I was confusing the day classes. Well, no, no, too. Josh, Josh is a good player too. So Josh is kind of more your traditional wingman. So I think Sammy Durham probably is a good matchup for him there in terms of hard running thing. And we talk about Nick, who's been playing mainly at half back, but is kind of pushing up into that wing and rotating with his brother and maybe getting to the midfield there. I think this is a job for the for the Guelph Medic Guelphie. Uh, Guelph's obviously been playing as that pressure half forward. We talked earlier about 10 tackles this previous week. Having maybe do a shutdown role on uh, on Dacos. Maybe it's the first time he's had someone dedicated to go to him. We've all often talked about Guelphie's versatility, ability to play forward, back, mid, uh, do the hard stuff. He's strong in the air. He's always good for a cheeky goal when you uh, least expect it to Guelph. So maybe try and hurt Dacos on the scoreboard as well. So I think that's that's an opportunity there, but yeah, they've got a got lots of good players here, and in in both the Dacos boys and both the Brown boys there. So hopefully, uh, with the Davies coming on there, Mark, we can get a couple of father sons into the side as well, and uh, start causing similar havoc. Yeah, it'd be nice to have uh, yeah a couple of brothers like that uh, running through your team is always good. Um, if we move on to the ruck battle, we sort of mentioned that Brody Grundy's going to be out of the side, so that leaves them with Darcy Cameron. Uh, obviously, Sam Draper is probably our you know number one, and, and we've got Andy Phillips in there as well. So, um, I think you mentioned it before about Draper. He kicked two goals, one on the weekend, and if he can go forward and have that sort of impact, he's obviously not going to be able to repeat that every week. But if he can go forward and clunk a couple of grabs, I think earlier this year when he was struggling, he wasn't taking marks, he wasn't getting a lot of possession around the ground, and you know his game on the weekend was a, a thirteen possession game, but he had four tackles as well. He took took three three or so marks, had three shots on goal, and all of a sudden it's a very damaging game. So, um, yeah, if he can rest forward, take a couple of marks, really stretch him and have some shots on goal, um, I think he can really push Cameron in the ruck. Yeah, and we'll go on to the, the small forwards there in Jamie Elliott and Jack Ginevan. We talked earlier about Anzac Day, Ginevan was best on ground, had the five goals there, and Jamie Elliott has been a player that's given us trouble over a number of years there. It's obviously a very smart playing, good overhead for his size. So of the small defenders, I probably think McGrath goes to Elliott just because uh, Andy's shown he's been able to play on those type of players well in the past and then you know, use his running and foot skills. And he looks so much more assured ball in hand running out of the running out of the back line there. And he's a real link player for us. So that'd be really good to see. And then in terms of Ginevan, um, I'd send the ball to him, Jake Kelly. Big, strong, physical man. Uh, he's going to be looking to duck his head, so maybe he can wear a few high from the ball and uh, <laughs> and maybe he won't be ducking his head <laughs> as much. Well, and the AFL's come out and pretty much said that you're not going to get a free kick if you if you uh, drop your shoulder into the tackle, and that's that's exactly how he plays his game, and that's what he's, what he's kind of built a lot of his free kicks on. So um, it's the one week where you probably can... Go, go pretty hard at someone and, and you're not going to give away a free kick unless it's blatantly obvious as a high. So, um, yeah, if you do play on him, Jack Kelly, go your hardest. <laughs> <laughs> we'll move on to Darcy Moore. He's obviously a pretty good 
key defender for him. He's recently come back from injury. Um, Peter Wright is a pretty good key forward for us. So, uh, as you said, Wright was unusually inaccurate with some kicks that he would normally kick last week. He still kicked a couple of goals, but uh, he's getting closer and closer to 50 goals for the year. He's on his way. And um, I think, yeah, if we can see Peter Wright get hold of Darcy Moore, that'll go a long way to helping us win the game. So that's going to be an important matchup because Darcy Moore's a, a quality defender. Yeah, that's right. And the two other real standouts in that and their back line are Braden Maynard and Jeremy Howe. We all know Jeremy Howe, a real great leaper of the ball, great intercept player. Um, you think he'll probably play second or third tall in that back line. So probably Harry Jones is probably a guy that could keep him occupied in the air, but was also mobile enough to go around the ground so he doesn't hurt us on the intercept there. And Braden Maynard, I think, is one of the more underrated players in the competition. Uh, I think his physicality is something that I really admire and he gives a lot of grunt to that side and his strength in the contest and above his head. And I think Langer's there, uh, Kyle Langford. He's got the big, strong frame now. He's good overhead. He can kick a couple of goals, keep keep Maynard really honest and worried about what Langford's doing. And that means that he can't then go impact and help his teammates. So I think that's an important matchup for us. And Jeremy Howard, do you remember Anzac Day, we, our... Our kind of wings, mids, half forwards, even half backs have to be really conscious of not bombing the ball in because he kind of tore us up for a period of time there on Anzac Day where we just kicked it to his advantage and he just had a field day just jumping over people's heads and doing what he loves doing. So uh, we've got to be cautious of that heading forward that we we aren't um, just kicking to an intercept. Um, so we'll finish off with a couple of their kind of key forwards and taller players here um, in Brody Majek. Is a, is a really reliable key forward for them. And then Mason Cox uh, has been playing down forward and rotating through the ruck as well. And Cox is obviously maybe doesn't fall into that reliable category, but we saw only, you know, a few weeks ago against Melbourne where he was arguably best on ground um, in a huge game that he can he can get hold of a game. Um, and if you give him a run at it and give him confidence, uh, he'll work his way into a game and, and be one of the better players on the ground. So really need to be on top of their tall guys that, that are going to be on their forward 50 there. So my check, good matchup for probably Jaden Laverde. Jaden toils and pushes and pulls and just gets the job done every week. I'm not sure how, but he's uh, always undersized and still gets it done. And um, we mentioned that Brandon Zerk Thatcher was in pretty good form and had a good air of confidence about him. So maybe he goes to Mason Cox. Yeah, I think when you were talking about Cox there and what he provides forward in the ruck, I think you've talked me into the selection of Stuart. <laughs> Just because he's going to be the second ruck. There's no need to run two ruckmen. Stewie can, I think, go pretty well as a second ruckman against Cox when he goes in there. But he's also 200 centimetres himself, a strong man. If, for whatever reason, BZT or Lav can't get the job done, you know, he's the guy that could play key back on Cox. Like, BZT is 195 right now. Everyone's given up centimetres to, to Mason Cox. He's the tallest player to have ever played the game. Right? So, yeah, but I don't know. I think that's – I don't think there's really a need for us to play two dedicated Ruckman, you know, especially when, you know, Cox is going to play in there and we talked about Darcy Cameron. He's a kind of really a secondary Ruckman himself. He's not a, you know, Brody Grundy standout number one. Cameron's more of a key forward, kind of almost like a James Stewart, kind of a key, key position player that's kind of found himself in a role in the ruck at the moment. It's going really well. So, 
who, who knows? I think I think we can get swayed there a little bit. Do you think that James Stewart might be given the medical sub duties again, like he was a few weeks back? It's going to whoever gets that every week. It's not ideal, but uh, particularly this week because the VFL play on the same day but in a different state, so you you can't. You know, you're not going to get a game the, the next day in the VFL. I think last time he was the sub, the VFL, we, that was on a Saturday night, I think, and we played on the Sunday in the VFL, so he just played the next day. But um, this week's not a good week to be the sub because you're going to stay down in Victoria, hopefully not play because no one gets hurt, but you're also going to miss a, a week of footy because the VFL team's a different state at the same day and the same time. So it's going to be interesting to see who that medical sub is and, the more we talk about it, I'm thinking James Stewart might have his name in that in that mix. Yeah, Braden has a medical sub past couple of weeks. I think he's been unused the past couple of weeks too. So can you really be to that point missing that much game time? What does that do for you there? Um, Alec Waterman's been sub I think once or twice earlier in the year as well. Um, I wouldn't put Massimo as the sub. I wouldn't play Snelling as the sub. Um, so, yeah, I think it's... Yeah, and we talked about, we've been critical on the podcast here, Mark, about having big Ruckman and Phillips as a sub too. And I think that is, that's the last option to pick a Ruckman as a sub. So maybe maybe it is Stuart that, that's a sub just because of his versatility to play both ends in the Ruck and being a pretty mobile runner. You know, if you would really stretch for it, you could play him, you know, half forward, half back, maybe on a wing, just as five minute here to get a rotation done. Yeah, yeah I don't know. Now you've talked me out of it. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Well, I think that does us for the for this episode of the pod. And um, you're, we haven't done this this year, but uh, I'll I'll put you on the spot. Prediction for the game, result, scenario. I don't know. Whatever. Whatever you want. What's your What's your uh, prediction? Oh, as you know, Mark, I am a pessimist, but I'm also wrong a lot of the time. So uh, I will change it up and hoping that I actually, uh, my positivity uh, proves me right. And I'll say the Bombers uh, will win and will win by 18 points. So three goals. Uh, And then best on. Oh, best on. I want to say my boy Laverty. Uh, but I don't, you know, hard to be a key back to be the best player on the ground, but I do love him. Uh, oh, I don't know. I don't, this is a perfect game for Perko to be best, but he's not He's not in. Uh, I'll go Langer's. Langer's best on, but the, Paco, Jake Stringer, I think he could, uh, after four last week, he could have a big night. I'm going to go, it's a close game. I'm going to go. Dons by five points. Oh, one of the last plays of the day is Jack Ginnivan trying to sell some candy from the half forward flank and gets run down by Mason Redmond in a huge tackle. Game over. Dons win by five. Best on Peter Wright. Six goals. Oh, <laughs> he's taken Darcy Moore to the cleaners. Yeah. I like it. I like it. After I've just talked up how good Darcy Moore is. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I think that does us. So uh, with that, go Dons. Go Bombers. Go Bombers.